If you can hear the sound of my voice, then you're listening to the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. This is episode number 41, and allow me to say welcome from wherever you are to wherever you are. Because the Spinner Rack, like all great temporal zones, is comprised of its own time and exists outside of the normal time stream, which means at any point in your life, in your day, you can step outside of time, step away to a realm like the Spinner Rack, and lose yourself in the best of DC Comics each and every week. I'm here to share with you my top five, because for me, the Spinner Rack is a place I go to like I did when I was a child. Comic books were available at the local newsstand, maybe at a local drugstore, and the only place they were guaranteed was on that wonderful spinning rack of delight. But, much like I had a budget as a child, I am limited by time and good process from sharing more than five books with you each and every week. What will this week's books be? How will they be different from last week? What changes could have occurred? All part of the adventure and discovery when you enter into the spinner rack. Without any further ado, Let's start off with my first choice, and then see where we end up with my fifth. Kicking things off, Lucifer, number 16. And a bit of a disclosure, if you don't mind. A simple acknowledgement on my part, that while I desire to always choose the five best comics from DC Comics each and every week, and while I do my best to be discerning in my choices, in order to do this successfully, in order to be as fair and honest as possible. I have to keep in mind that I have personal biases, that there are books I would love to share with you week after week because they come out so often and because I feel that the quality of content is so consistent that in many ways I could have five of the same books appearing on the spinner rack on a regular basis. And yet that also wouldn't be fair to the process. So in my attempt, I read every book that comes out from DC Comics and I try and trust that the impact and response that I'm feeling is enough of a lodestone, of a guide that can help me discern what my personal biases might be and where they could be impacting my ability to objectively share with you the top five picks. So when I mentioned that I'm sharing with you today from my first choice, Lucifer number 16, it's with the full disclosure that I also review this title for DC Comics News. It's one that I've come to appreciate for its quality, for its storytelling, for its amazing writing and artistic collaboration. So in that note, you won't hear the Lucifer title on the spinner rack as often because I grade it just a little more harshly than I might others. And for that reason, when it does make it, you know that my selection is based not on personal biases or any other contributing factors, but instead on the quality of the book and my belief as to why it deserves to be on the spinner rack. Now, Dan Waters, the writer, has an amazing combination of talent at his disposal through art by Max Fiumara, colors by Dave McCaig, letters by Steve Wands, and an amazing cover by Tiffany Terrell, one in which a magnificent figure stretches into the cosmos, perhaps even the heavens, and is confronted by a smaller figure, determined 
robed, carrying a staff and hat, and warning of potential trouble to come. So what exactly is this trouble? Well, it has to do with the fact that there's a wild hunt that the figure, Odin, was attempting to start last issue, until the horn that was going to be used to summon the hunt, or the wild hunt, was broken and delivered back to Odin and his compatriot Achilles by none other than the Hellblazer himself, Mr. John Constantine. With this development, it had appeared that the wild hunt was over, but that was not true. And in fact, we discovered through this issue that the wild hunt will continue. And we start off with this beautiful idea, this concept at the beginning of the book, titled, appropriately enough, the rarely spoken of body factories of hell, in which it's pointed out that in hell, there is a ripping, tearing, and rending of flesh, gnashing of teeth, and that because of that, questions might arise as to how it's possible, since many of those who do arrive in hell arrive there as buried bodies, perhaps even ones who have been burned in flame and turned to ashes. And yet those same bodies arrive in hell, fully clothed in their skin, hair, and containing all the pieces of themselves that existed while they were alive, so that they can be destroyed, torn into pieces, disemboweled, gorged upon by monstrous demons. And it's here that Odin must go, because in order to have the horn repaired, he has to go through the process that follows the destruction of our bodies, the one that repairs them so they can be used, torn apart, or perhaps serve another nefarious purpose in their role now that they exist in hell. There's a beautiful description of this idea that's presented at the beginning of the book and then follows through as Odin is torn to pieces, rent asunder, and then somehow holds on to the horn while being put back together. And when he emerges, both he and the horn are whole. There's also a journey taken that's quite lovely, where Constantine visits his old compatriot, Mazakin, who has taken advantage of some of the different materials that she took with her when she left her former master, and has opened an antique shop, a curiosity shop, a shop that deals and dabbles a little bit in the darker arts. She's easier to understand now. She has a silver tongue. She has people who work with her. But all is not as well as she would like. For one, Lucifer is on her door. And two, we discover that she is able to show Lucifer things he wishes to see, despite his mistreatment of her current employees. And that through this discovery, we learn that he must protect the object of the hunt, a sad, pathetic person worked beyond their means by a bedridden mother who appears to have made this a choice because they have someone that they can blame for the problem and also forced to take care of them. This, of course, riles up Lucifer in ways that should be expected. He's one disappointed and embarrassed by the appearance of this subject that he must now protect, and also is frustrated by the fact that this is his responsibility. I don't know if you just heard a sniff or sneeze of derision in the background, but that would be my French Bulldog Bruno and my Pitbull Fiji. Apparently, they have some unspoken thoughts about this development as well. 
Yet with all this information, it's Lucifer who's actually behind the eight ball and struggling to keep up. Because unbeknownst to he and Mazakin, a intruder was present during the discovery of this new information and has not only learned the information, but also the location and appears on the doorstep prepared to take out the one thing that Lucifer needs to protect. I really enjoyed this concept because not only did it introduce us to a really interesting idea about hell and the conventions that are designed to make it feel so real, make it so scary and dangerous, and the idea of being reassembled only to be torn back apart isn't a pleasant one. And I enjoyed that not only was it shown to be unpleasant and that this is the future awaiting all who will eventually reside in hell. It was also quite beautiful the way it was described, the way some parts of it felt like this very interesting civil servant bureaucratic administrative process. And in some ways, isn't that a hell of its own making? I really enjoyed everything that Lucifer 16 offered in this issue. I was proud to share it as a review and actually get some great feedback from the writer and really enjoyed knowing confidently that this was a great choice for this episode of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. Let's go ahead and take a look at my second choice. And for that second choice, I am taking a rather fun look at Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, number seven. Jimmy Olsen is one of those characters in comics that I can't help but enjoy. The story by Matt Fraction continues to spread out in so many different threads, and yet, with each issue, connect with those threads again and again and again. So it feels as though by the end of each issue, you've read maybe five or ten stories. And yet, now that I'm through number seven, it feels as though I might have read 70. All little chapters, all little segments, all building into the larger narrative. There's a lot to take in, and thankfully, Fraction is joined by an amazing art team with Steve Lieber providing the main art, Nathan Fairbairn on colors, Clayton Cowles on the letters, and Lieber and Fairbairn providing a really fun cover with Ben Oliver offering up an enticing variant cover. I promise I won't judge you if you get both. I can understand why. Jimmy Olsen is one of those books that could appear every time that it comes out on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. And I think, based on its quality, most would agree it deserves to be there. However, this issue was a, a really great example for me. It's one that provided so many wonderful insights into who Jimmy Olsen is and how he's gotten to this strange place. And it does so by showing so many different forms of Jimmy as we've known him, and even a few that seem like they fit perfectly with his character, but they just haven't been portrayed yet in the comic books. And if they have, perhaps they are so distant since, or distant in time from the present, that they feel fresh and new. I'm talking about moments like the Lil Olsons, 
which reminds me of the Little Rascals, Our Gang, and fun homages to that, which I've seen in popular culture and everything from The Family Guy to now this current issue. But there's something that I really enjoyed, which was a fresh take on some ideas we might think we already know or never bothered to dig into. Now, I know that there are a few comic fans who can tell me exactly what Jimmy Olsen's official origin is. And yet the story from Matt Fraction provides a very unique insight, one that I'm intrigued by, mostly because it takes into account a narrative regarding Jimmy's family, a wealthy component that the Olsons contribute to Metropolis, and how, as it's pointed out by his brother in this issue, he owns all the land. The Olsen families own a great deal of the land that Metropolis is built upon, even though it's Lex Luthor who tries to take pride in owning the buildings. The buildings stand on the land that they own, and that's been a leverage for them and an insight into many of the goings-on in the upper echelon. So when Jimmy arrives with a photo book of his best works, and he sits down with Lois Lane and Perry White, at first it appears unclear that this young man could have anything to contribute. And then a picture, followed by another picture, points out that Jimmy often gets bored at these socialite events, and then he makes friends with a lot of the staff and those that he sees on a regular basis, and how they have become like family for him. Now, when he tends to, on occasion, rise to their defense, he often finds himself bursting into a situation in which he might not be welcome and to which his intrusion might provide embarrassing daylight to a scenario that others, especially those he's walked in on, would prefer was kept in the dark. Through this, Jimmy is able to provide some very compelling evidence that the paper could use regarding a trial in which one statement of innocence was made, and clearly culpability is now possible based solely on the photographs Jimmy Olsen holds in this great little portfolio he's brought, and the recognition that this is a talent they need. How can Lois Lane and Perry White figure out how to get this young man to work for them when they know they have almost no budget? Well, he makes it easy. He points out that he's extremely wealthy. He doesn't need a salary. It'd probably just make things awkward. And like that, Jimmy Olsen is one of the gang. I love this fresh new take. I love how it shows sort of the wily nature of Jimmy Olsen, how quick he is to think on his feet, and what he's capable of when he does. This was a wonderful story, one that made me laugh and smile. Every piece of it, every chapter, every segment feels like it's an errant thought and yet on closer reflection and just a little bit of clarity it becomes so much more compelling to the overall narrative that i at least become very aware of just how talented mr fraction is and how much more i wish i could write like he does jimmy olsen much like lucifer number 16 is a solid five out of five and one i'm happy to share with you on this week's edition of the dc comics news spinner rack now with that in mind, I'm going to take a quick break because we have some ads to share 
And then we have our third, fourth, and fifth choices to bring back to you. Thanks for your patience, enjoy the information, and stick around for my third, fourth, and fifth choices here on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, episode number 41. Hi everyone, I'm here to tell you about the DC Comics News Podcast, here every week to talk everything DC, movies, TV, comics, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it, here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Regardless, you can catch us on every kind of podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere you find great podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. (laughs) No. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the Knight. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the night. Now for my third choice, I had to go with Freedom Fighters number 12 story that takes place on Earth-X, where Nazi Germany's metahuman war machine has conquered the planet. The Freedom Fighters are the only ones willing to fight back, led by Uncle Sam and driven by the passions that each character brings, whether it's Phantom Lady, Phantom Girl, Black Condor, the Human Bomb, Doll Lady, or the people that they're fighting for. This is a story about perseverance when all hope is lost, about what happens when tyranny succeeds and a few small, dedicated group choose to fight back, change the course of the tide, and perhaps the future of their planet. Freedom Fighters has been a 12-issue maxi-series, and this was the final issue, and one that I thought did a masterful job of providing a great conclusion one in which the biggest enemies are defeated, but the lingering ones are still left to be contended with and are still a part of the fabric in which we all live. Uncle Sam is quite amazing here. I loved everything about his fight scene with the evil version of Superman, a robotic twist on the former Uberman that had led the uh, Ratsies and eventually left Earth after confliction and was replaced by this metal monster. Now, what I love about this is that the metal monster has been quite a dangerous foe, and yet with the surge of the resistance clearly pushing past every form of opposition that the Ratsies, Nazis can put in front of it, 
even this metallic creature is not up to the task. Uncle Sam is powerful, towering, but his might is matched by that of the human bomb, who makes a decision that he can provide a future for the freedom fighters if they allow him to make a final sacrifice, and in doing so, to guarantee that the future will have a chance because the freedom fighters will be there to fight for it. Lovely storytelling overall, and something that really made me smile when I was reading this issue. And it was the feeling that these characters had earned their moment. They had reached a point where everything that they had been doing had led to a final opportunity. There's so many great moments to wrap up the end of this series that I'm going to avoid all possibilities of spoiling it by saying simply that, again, another full disclosure, I'm a huge fan of the writer, Robert Venditti. I've loved the things I've seen him do with Hawkman and so many other titles, some which are still with us, some which no longer are. I'm talking about you, Brimstone. And the amazing collaboration with penciler Eddie Barrows, inker Eber Ferreira, colorist Adriana Lucas, and letterer and World Design, with a really lovely triumphant cover from Barrows, Ferreira, and Lucas for this final issue. Freedom Fighters is something that I enjoyed reading issue by issue. It's something I'm going to enjoy picking up as a collected edition and sharing with others, especially when it seems like all hope is lost when somehow the enemy, an enemy, the opposition, has gained an upper hand that makes it feel as though it's impossible for any good to possibly survive. And yet with the Freedom Fighters, my belief is that just like you might have heard me saying recently on the DC Comics News podcast with the rest of the gang, I believe in hope. I continue to believe in hope. And it's characters who reflect this and the writers who give us the words that sustain that hope that always give me a feeling that my hope is validated by my actions and it is supported by the words and actions of others. And that was the feeling I had at the end of Freedom Fighters number 12, a book I am more than happy to share with you and to give a five out of five as my third choice on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, episode number 41. Now for my fourth choice, we go into darker terrain with The Low, Low Woods, issue number two. And we open with a lovely introduction between Eldora, or L, and Octavia, a story as described by the narrator, and at least one of the characters, as a moment when one of the girls needed a partner in crime, and the other needed a friend. In this opening, those two forces come together as one protects the other from a hideous, or at least dangerously threatening in appearance figure, who terrifies one of the girls, only to have the other come to her defense. Who protects who? You might have some insight if you've read issue number one, and if not, well, hopefully that's enough of a tantalizing mystery for you to open up issue number two. In this lovely story by Carmen Maria Machado, with pencils and inks by Donnie, 
colors by Tamara Bon Villain, letters by Steve Wands, and an amazing cover by J.A.W. Cooper, and an equally impressive cover by Jenny Frisson, or Frizen, for the variant cover. But the mystery within this story is more than just the one I hinted at just a few moments ago. There's a lot going on in this oddly named town, one who (laughs) makes me smile every time I hear its name said aloud. For reasons I can't really explain, the name Shudder to Think is a name that I can't imagine ever having seen before as the name of a town, and yet it seems like the perfect name for this little town, a place where there used to be heaven on earth in the form of a resort in the 60s and 70s, alive with parties and great opportunity, and now just another broken down symbol of all the things that have been lost. Through this story, we have the opportunity to learn a little bit more about a troubling problem, the fact that Ellen Octavia went to the movie theater last issue. They saw the trailers, and then they woke up confused, disoriented, And unfortunately, when one of them got home, they realized that their underwear were turned inside out at some point after the movie started and after they got home. They challenge and interrogate the theater worker, Josh, who denies more than it seems they were asking and also implies that there's more going on than they might be possibly aware of. I personally think that it's a really amazing and powerful insight into the challenges of living in a town that has broken and continues to break. And it seems as though those who are trapped there will never escape. And even if there are opportunities, like going away to college, which at least one of the girls might be able to consider, the risk, the disappointment, and the eventual acceptance of where they are and where they can never leave seems to pervade every part of their conversation. It seems to hang over the town, shudder to think, as though it was placed there almost artificially, as though, for some reason, its purpose is to keep people there. Because when they're there, and they have nothing else to do, then it's easier to do something with or to them. Just what these dangers might hold are brought to light at the end of the issue when one of the characters makes a decision to go somewhere that they both know is dangerous, leaving the other with the choice and the question, follow and protect or leave and do like everyone else in Shudder to Think does. Worry about yourself and getting through this day and maybe the next. The Low Low Woods is a very dark and familiar nightmare. One that reminds me of the challenges I faced living in a small town. One that reminded me of the challenges I think many still face who are up against greater hardships than I ever went through or overcame or let alone was faced with. And yet how that familiarity is something we can all recognize and connect with. This was a powerful story and one that I enjoyed a great deal and I'm proud and happy to share with you. 
a five out of five from me for the low low woods issue number two now for my fifth and final choice i made the decision to go with nightwing issue number 68 a story called the brain bomb written by dan jurgens with art from travis moore and ronin cliquet colors by nick filardi letters by and world design Moore and Filardi collaborating on the cover, and Alan Qua providing the amazing variant cover. Nightwing has gone through some really rough times recently. He changed his name from Dick Grayson to Rick Grayson. He lost the memories of his Bat family. And in recent issues, it's been revealed that the Court of Owls has used a series of treatment sessions with a psychiatrist to implant false memories into his brain to replace the memories of his time with Batman as Robin and his time with the Teen Titans and the Titans as Nightwing with memories of his role in the Court of Owls and as one of their assassins, as a Talon. A recent fight with Talon and attacks on members of the Nightwings who had taken Dick Grayson's place has jarred Grayson's memory. And instead, the real memories are leaking through. A conflict is created within his mind, and through it, a recognition of the feelings that made Dick the person he was and the person we are hoping he will eventually become again. In this issue, we reach a turning point when he's able to access those memories again, compare them with the new memories that the Court of Owls injected into his mind, and make a decision about which one feels like the real him. What I love about this is that through this long, harrowing journey, Dick Grayson, Nightwing, has been struggling to find his way, find his self, find himself. And in doing so, what he's learned not only about who he is without those memories, but now who he can be when those memories are restored, is powerful compelling and really a wonderful narrative that I enjoyed from start to finish. There's a feeling of hope, a possibility that exists with a character like Nightwing. And I'm always reminded of a conversation between writers and a world ending event in which Dick almost died and didn't and how the writers reflected on what that could have meant for the DC universe had his life been taken away. And through this story, we've had the opportunity to experience something like that because the life that Dick Grayson knew was taken away. And what was returned was a different man, lost and confused. And now with his memories returned, what will the future hold? Just how far can Dick Grayson come back from the journey he's gone as Rick? And now that he has these new memories and an understanding of his old life, how will that affect his new relationships, his girlfriend Bia, and the life that he's built for himself during his recovery? I think this is an important chapter and one that was not only well covered, well addressed, but well written and extremely well presented by the amazing team behind, writer Dan Jurgens and the artists who brought this work to life. Nightwing isn't a title that always appears on the spinner rack. Maybe it's because I recognize that I have so much affinity for the character, but 
in this instance, it was a blessing and a pleasure to see this development in his story and to share it with you on this edition of the DC Comics News, Spinner Rack. Nightwing number 68 gets a solid 5 out of 5 from me, and it's a great way for me to end this episode. And with all that said and done, this is a great opportunity for me to tell you all about the things you might not know when it comes to DC Comics News. For starters, if this is your first time listening and you'd like to hear more, you can find the Spinner Rack and all of the other great content available from DC Comics News on the DC Comics News podcast, which is available on every major podcast platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play. So if you haven't yet, please head over and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling frisky or have something to share, we'd love it if you could rate and review. If you have any comments, thoughts, questions, or other that you wish to share related to anything I've talked about here on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, episode number 41, or the 40 episodes that preceded it, you can find us on social media. Whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, or YouTube, all you have to do is use that at symbol and DC Comics News. That's all one word, capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N, E-W-S. And I'd also like to encourage you to check out the DC Comics News podcast team, our weekly feature where we review news and information coming out from movies, TV and streaming, comic books, and even some other things we just simply categorize as other each and every week all about DC Comics, right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. And our newest edition, the amazing production by my co-conspirator, Steve J. Ray, and his new podcast, I Am The Night, an episode-by-episode breakdown of the classic Batman the Animated Series, that once you listen to it, I guarantee you'll want to go back and watch this amazing animated series again, and with new insights. You can also, of course, catch me in the Spinner Rack each and every week right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. All you have to do is remember that first set of instructions to subscribe. And then, of course, if you're feeling like it's appropriate, rate and review. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. You can find me on Twitter, the username, the number one, more singleton. That's one more singleton or anywhere else in the internet world just by typing my name, Seth Singleton, and the word story, and then seeing whatever pops up and which catches your attention. With that final ado, it's time for me to wrap up episode number 41 of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack with a simple, gentle reminder, one that we love to share with you as often as we can, and that is to always read more comics. Thank you.